Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Today we're talking about how scientists developed coronavirus vaccines in record time. Record time? This has been the longest I've ever waited for a vaccine. Believe it or not, this is the fastest that any vaccine has ever been made. And we're about to find out how it happened. Today we have a question from Vala. Hi, I'm Vala, and I'm six years old. I'm from Emerald Isle, North Carolina. I want to know what scientists have discovered since the last episode about coronavirus. Bye. That's a great question, Vala. I mean, right now it's almost winter in 2020, and way back in the spring we did a few episodes about the coronavirus. And I'm assuming that scientists have discovered kind of a lot since then. They have. Scientists have been working nonstop since the pandemic began in January. They've made so many important discoveries about coronavirus. But one of the most important things scientists have been working on is a coronavirus vaccine. We've done a few episodes about vaccines, but I've heard a lot about vaccines recently in the news. That's why today our guest is someone who writes that news. I'm literally writing about vaccines every day now. It's kind of crazy. That's Carl Zimmer, science columnist for The New York Times. Carl was an expert on viruses before coronavirus started. He wrote a whole book about them. And now he's going to be our guide to the coronavirus vaccine race, from the starting line to the point when several vaccines are sprinting to the finish. On our marks, get set, and Go! Competitors began signing up for this important race early. Basically, anybody who had any expertise in making vaccines seemed to want to get involved. And they just all had the same attitude, which is like, well, this is what we can do. This was truly an international race. Carl's tracked down around 130 vaccine projects around the world. You had everything ranging from big pharmaceutical companies to, you know, little labs that were creating their own to um, sort of government labs in all sorts of different countries. They were truly global undertaking. So it's like all these scientists are just like milling around at the starting line with their race bibs on, their short shorts, checking their watches, <laughs> trying to save the world from a pandemic. Just like that 5K I did a few years ago, where if you finish, you save the world. <laughs> Basically, and the more competitors there are in a vaccine race, the better, because it means more chances that at least one of them would come up with a vaccine that works. So it's like the more guesses you have, the more likely it is that you'll guess correctly. Exactly. So when does the race start? The very first step was to take a look at the virus itself. So the equivalent of a starting gun is like just getting a copy of the virus. I mean, that sounds dangerous. Well, it's kind of like how starting guns don't actually shoot. They just make sound. And these days, looking at the virus means downloading a file that contains its genome. And a genome is basically coronavirus's instruction manual. Totally harmless. And that became available on uh, January 10th. You know, a number of vaccine researchers just saw it and said, OK, let's go. Well, they could just download a file and get started. Yeah. So coronavirus vaccine makers didn't have to wait around to get a sample of the real thing in order to study it like they used to. All you need is the genome to start work on a vaccine. 
Well, okay, so the race has officially started, but what are they looking for in the genome? They're looking for the part of the virus that the vaccine needs to target in order to stop it. Like a bullseye? In this case, it's a flower. This virus, like other coronaviruses, has this big flower-shaped protein sticking off the top of it. That's what it uses to attach to our cells. This protein is a chain of very tiny molecules. It finds the spot on a cell where it can break in, transforming itself into a key and turning the lock of the cell. Once Spike manages to open the door, the virus sneaks inside the cell, where it turns the cell into a virus-making factory. So it's bad. It is bad. And it has a name. Its name is Spike. And that spike protein really just sort of pops out at you when you look at a picture of the thing, because there are these big streaming kind of proteins that stick off the surface. Okay, so I guess that's what makes the coronavirus look like it has a crown? I I didn't know it had a name like a dog. Scientists have names for everything. I guess some are better dog names than others. (laughs) Yes. Anyhow, vaccine makers zeroed in on Spike right away. Because lucky for us, a few scientists had spent years studying it. If no one had bothered to study coronaviruses before, we would have been totally lost. This small group of scientists figured out how Spike changed shape to make itself into a key to our cells. Then they figured out how to stop Spike from working. Wow. And they learned all this before COVID started, before January? Yes. All this research basically gave coronavirus vaccine makers a turbo boost at the very start of the race. Wow. There was a huge amount of work that was saved because of all that work that had been done in the 20 years before. Okay, so we know what the target is right off the bat. So what's the next step? Vaccine makers started designing their own ways to teach the body how to recognize and fight spike before it meets the real thing. And how does that work? They make a fake spike. When you have a vaccine that is just based on the spike protein, what happens is that you just have this spike protein just floating around, just in your bloodstream. Our blood is filled with random proteins, kind of like boxes that fell off a truck on the highway. It's just packed with many, many different kinds of proteins, you know, just loose fragments of cells, just all sorts of stuff. These proteins float around bumping into our cells including immune cells, which help keep us from getting sick. Your immune system is very good at recognizing things that belong to you and that are safe and recognizing things that don't look right and could be dangerous. And Spike looks dangerous, right? Right. The immune system knows that Spike doesn't belong in our bodies, so it starts making defenses against it. You have certain kinds of immune cells that can make a little molecule called an antibody that can stick precisely onto that spike protein. Oh, that's clever. So the vaccine tricks our cells into preparing to fight the virus. Exactly. If you get infected with a real virus, which is also covered in spike proteins, then those antibodies are already floating around and you have these immune cells that can make more. Those antibodies gum up the works. So the antibodies then stick to the spike on the coronavirus, and then the coronavirus can't get into cells. 
So you make a fake spike and the vaccine's made. The race is over, right? Not even close. The long middle part of the race is testing the vaccines to make sure that they're safe and that they actually work. I guess that does seem like a smart step to take. It's really lots of steps. And it usually takes years and years. But this time, the process got sped up by combining steps. These vaccine makers said like, okay, no, there are actually ways that we can actually do several different things at once uh, in a way that doesn't sacrifice safety. So how do you test a vaccine safely and quickly? Well, you test it in non-people first, like cells and animals, to make sure it's safe enough for people. Then you test it in a small number of people. And if that goes well, you add more and more people until you get to a really, really big group. And what you do is you get a whole bunch of people, 30,000, 40,000, 60,000 people. And typically, half the people get the vaccine and then half the people get what's called a placebo. Is that like a gazebo, like a covered outdoor space that bands could perform in in public parks? <laughs> that sounds like fun. <laughs> Everybody, you get a gazebo. You get a gazebo. So what's a placebo? A placebo is actually a scientific term for you get nothing. <laughs> well, that's so much worse than getting a gazebo. There's a shot, but instead of a vaccine, maybe there's salt water. It doesn't hurt your body, but it doesn't help either. But the placebo is so important because it lets scientists make a comparison to see if the vaccine really works. So everyone is getting a shot, but only half the people get the actual vaccine and the others get, like, pretend vaccine? Exactly. And nobody knows who got what. Not even the scientists. This helps them make an honest comparison between the two groups. Nothing is different between the people in the study or how scientists are looking at them. Then you just wait because then people who are living relatively similar lives, who are walking around either with a placebo or a vaccine, some of them are going to get exposed to the virus. It sounds weird, but this needs to happen in order to know if the vaccine truly works. And if the vaccine's really good, very few people who have been vaccinated will actually get infected. Whereas, you know, people who have placebo, they're going to get as sick as the rest of us. Whoa. So let's zoom out now and imagine that we're watching the vaccine race from above, tracking their progress through all of these trials. Like we're on a blimp or flying a really high drone. We can see that a few competitors have pulled out ahead of the race. They've made it to the final trials before the rest. And now they're neck and neck. But their teams of scientists are just watching and waiting for people to get sick. So every time someone is diagnosed with COVID, you're like, okay, we've got one case, we've got two cases, we've got 10 cases. When they heard about a case, they had no idea whether this person had gotten the vaccine or not. They had to wait until they had hit a certain number of COVID cases to find out. And what did they find? Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca have been finding that relatively few of the people who get sick have the vaccine. In other words, the vaccines looked like they were working. They were protecting people against COVID. That's amazing. And the names Carl mentioned, like Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca, like those are the names of the companies making the vaccines, right? They're not like the people on the team. Those would be weird names for people. <laughs> yeah, I've never met anyone named AstraZeneca. <laughs> so can we consider them the winners? 
As we record this, they haven't crossed the finish line yet. There's a few more steps to get the go-ahead to start vaccinating everyone. But the end of these trials is a major, major milestone, and the early results look really good. I do not see how you can see this as anything other than great. I mean, I guess if we're looking at it from the point of view of the virus, they would definitely see that as not great. Like all the times of reproducing in people's cells, those good times are over. (laughs) It's amazing news for humans. And Carl's a very responsible science reporter. He's not going to start celebrating or even hanging up streamers until all of the data is in and approved. But he's been impressed by the speed of the race. It's historic. It's objectively record-breaking. The standard period of time to get a vaccine uh, authorized or approved going from its initial design is like 10 to 15 years, you know, and the very fastest was four years. Seriously? Like four years is the current record to get a vaccine out to people? So we're just like shattering it. Yes. And Pfizer, the first vaccine maker that reached this milestone, started their vaccine in February. It might be approved in December. So that's 10 months. Like that's, we are in the middle of of history right now. Wow. I mean, it really has felt like we've been waiting forever, but scientists have made this so much faster than it could have been made at like any other time in history. It's been an incredibly fast race and hopefully a huge triumph. But there was a lot of patient, slow research that had to happen before we could even get set up at the starting line. It took years and years and years of people quietly working on coronaviruses and not getting a lot of attention in order to build up the knowledge that made it possible to jump into making vaccines in January 2020. It's almost like there were qualifying races before the big race. This metaphor works so well and on so many levels. (laughs) I mean, it is an actual race and speed was really important. In reality, this is just how science works. It's the scientific method in action, which is now delivering us results that could save literally millions of lives, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of lives. Wow, it's so true. And the sooner we vaccinate the people, the sooner these lives will be saved. So it's safe to say that scientists have discovered a lot about coronavirus. And there's still more to discover to save lives and hopefully prevent a pandemic like this from ever happening again. This experience has shown that science can take on a problem that is literally threatening the whole world and present solutions for it. Do you have family and friends who have questions about the coronavirus vaccines? Help make sure that they get good information from reliable sources like the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the World Health Organization. And science news can change quickly, so make sure that you're getting the latest updates about vaccines. The information we shared in this episode is accurate as of its release date on December 11th, 2020. Thanks today to Carl Zimmer, columnist for The New York Times, and Bala for sending in her question. Learn more about the coronavirus vaccine race in our interview extra with Carl, available to patrons who pledge $1 a month or more on Patreon. Pledge today at patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. We'll also have links to reliable vaccine information on our website, sciencepodcastforkids.com. 
Today's episode had production assistance from Alexander Charles Adams. Our intern is Claire Glendening. Sarah Robertson Lentz is our head of partnerships and designed the episode art. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this show. And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I made all of the music. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for more stories of science discovery. Thank you.